Joining us for another episode of TalkScript, we're recording live-ish from the always beautiful Carlsbad, California after taking the podcast on the road to JSConf US 2018. This conference had two tracks packed with great speakers, vacation-esque activities, and new stickers to add to our ever-expanding laptop mosaic. Over the next few episodes, we'll be talking with various speakers, including Kevin O'Neill, Nick Navedita, Oddbird's Miriam Suzanne, Test Double's Justin Searles, and many more. Let's get started! All right, we're here with Jeff Hoffer. Uh, Jeff, you gave a talk at JSConf 2018. What was your talk about? So my talk was introducing a library called Tau.js mm-hmm. that I created, something that I've been working with the, the concept for a long time um, and finally found the right implementation that I like. Nice. Uh, and the problem it's solving is, and this was in the talk, is trying to get us to a place where we're building on frameworks that give us good architecture or in a way that doesn't allows us to to embrace the entropy that's inherent in software development and what are the ways that entropy comes into software development we spend a lot of time you know doing things like abstracting away the fact that we're using a rest api from our web client when we are never going to swap out the REST API for some other thing. So why do we spend so much effort on that? The entropy usually comes in from product requirements of like, hey, we needed to do this now. Hey, it's not scaling anymore. So how do we do that? So that's the underlying sort of concepts behind it and came out of all of my experience working with startups and working on greenfield systems and legacy systems and generally startups that are already in bad legacy mode and they're like a year old, right? So why do we keep repeating the same problem over and over again? So the the name of your talk was, uh, we're the same, you and me, a new way to align programming paradigms across client and server with less in parentheses. Yeah. So so the, the idea is using the library, we have a same paradigm. It's a unidirectional yep. data flow style programming paradigm that we can use the same library and the same semantics in our client-side apps, as well as on the server, as well as even in a serverless handler, right? So the whole goal is to break and decompose all of our programs into just a series of functions and handlers that are waiting for signals on a signal network, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and the library that you're talking about, Tau, that's T-A-O.js. Yeah. I'm looking at your synopsis. Yeah. yeah. And you have in there term action orientation. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little about Tau. So the, the Tau is like this philosophy around the program and uh-huh. Tau.js is what I call an implementation of it in JavaScript. Okay. The end goal is to implement it in other languages and make it language agnostic. Mm-hmm. So it really becomes a coordination language and centered around Tau being an acronym for the message format, which is term action orient. And Term is obviously the subject of the message. Action is the operation happening on the message. But often what I came to discover years ago in trying to, in working with a team, we had to design an architect from scratch, a product that had a portal and an admin, and then you needed to deal with reporting. So I was trying to communicate 
to the team all the different screens they had to deal with. And we had started from a domain-driven design to come up with all the domain entities. And I realized that what we generally lack in all these descriptive frameworks we use is a third dimension around what is the orientation of the user or the system or the actor in this interaction, right? We go subject operation, but we don't consider the the orientation involved, right? <laughs> so so if is it coming from an admin perspective? Is it coming from the portal perspective where you're going to have much more denormalized sets of data when you go retrieve that thing, right? Is it from a reporting perspective where you're adding more data on top of it so that you can do better aggregations on the back end? So adding that to the message format is the crux of it and then calling it tau to, in order to make it a simple mnemonic that everybody can remember and an mm-hmm. acronym that makes it easy and, and it's ordered in that way by design. So That was lucky happenstance then. It could have been something like glop, you know, it, something really bad. So I, it's really good it, it worked out. It wasn't tau to begin with, right? It had some really bad iterations. And then I came to that. I was like, holy. And then I checked js.org and that was available. I'm like, okay, this is where I'm going with it. Nice. So Really well thought out then on your naming. I'm sorry to burst that bubble. Yeah. You're like, this is all perfectly. This is how it works. <laughs> yeah. It's a great. And it's like, oh, it's not really that. It just happened that way after, accidentally afterwards. It, it took time. Like it <laughs> just kept iterating through because I had started with other names and they just didn't fit. But I, I'm, I'm lucky in that early in my career, I worked for a guy that was really good at, he was a managing director of our process improvement department at Countrywide. And he was really good at creating programs with acronym names, right? We did our own version of Six Sigma, and it was called Faster. And it was Flow, Analyze, Solve, Target, Execute, Review. And I remember it to this day because the acronym, it just builds it in. So it's just an easy way to, for people to remember stuff. Yeah. No, that's a really good idea. There, There is actually more to it than just the, the message format for Tau.js. So when I say a signal network... Essentially, it's an evented-driven system, right? So you're pushing these business events in, and you have handlers just responding and reacting. So it's a reactive programming paradigm. What it also differs from a standard event system where normally you add handlers, and they get called in a series in the order in which you added them, right? The signal network in the Tau paradigm is that you have three different types of handlers that you can add. Right. One is your inline handler, and that's the standard one we're used to. The other is an async handler. So that's saying, here's a side effect I want to happen, but do it in a different context. And, and I, I don't care if it finishes. I don't care when it finishes. I, it's not going to affect the inline mode of the things that I'm trying to work with. And then an intercept handler is one that gets called before any of the others so that you have a chance to stop or block propagation further down. So you can do checks like security check or it's also handy that you can add one and not return anything. So it'll still keep going, but you get logging for free because it'll just come in and log. It'll get called first. And so you see it every time. So things like that. So you can have side effects you want to happen for everything like that. So what makes it a, so that's what makes it a signal network, Craig? Is that what you said? I'm using that more now, and that's a term that comes from functional reactive programming. Okay. I mean, the 
you could call it an event system, but it's a centralized event system. So it's really message-oriented. And the idea is abstracting away from the developer who's really concerned with writing application code revolving around the domain shouldn't have to worry about the underlying infrastructure. And then you, you get to build an infrastructure underneath that signal network that could be queue-driven, message-driven. And often what i found is all the high-scale back-end systems are message-oriented, right? Front-end developers, a lot of the times, don't have any concept around how to build in that environment, right? So they're used to, oh, I see API, call API, right? But they spend all their time in an evented system already. They, they understand it, right? They could get it. And so it's sort of bridging that gap by saying, just if you all do the same thing, we'll just do a message-oriented system underneath for you and you don't have to worry about it. And then that's, so it's a, you said it's a front end and back end. Uh, yeah, library. Library. And then you would use that with other tools, right? So how does it yes. fit into the tooling? What is the, the answer? Ecosystem. Yeah, like in yeah. the ecosystem, you know, you're obviously not building everything with it, but it's right. part of it, right? So it's where does a, that kind of fit in? It's a centralized coordination framework for all your different pieces, right? So it gets you loose coupling, right? So you get to build handlers and then they're just responding to a message there's a package for using it with React. It allows you to use an adapter to turn, you can create any React component and turn it into a handler by using the adapter. And then you use a Reactor component to actually get your adapted React components into the view, right? So based on what message happened, this adapter will choose which component to actually be the current component and then the reactors just when it comes time to render says give me the current component and I'll stick it in here so yeah it's really based around a reactive sense you can use it with any state management framework because it's not managing state for you right it's just managing signals so you can use it with a redux or with the context API within react the goal is to implement adapters for all the other front-end frameworks like angular View, Ember, all that stuff. Cool. What goes into creating those adapters? It's actually pretty light, right? Because in what, well, as far as in React, a component is just a function and a handler in Tau.js is just a function. So the only thing it's really doing is just saying for this signal, this Tau message, use this component as the handler. Right? And then it'll inject the message into the handler, into the constructor, so that comes in as props. Cool. So it's really, you said the goal was to make you know, adap- these adapters for all the different frameworks. So yes. It's really not that difficult to, to actually implement that. Yeah. It, I, don't, I don't see that as being a, a tough issue. Nice. And it sounds like it's pretty, uh, be pretty easy to maintain, too. You know, I hope so. so. That's, well, that's, that's always one of the things with creating adapters, yeah. right? It's like, oh, they changed everything. Right. Nothing works anymore. But, right. you know, it sounds like as long as you, you still have functions and you're just passing in yeah. stuff, it should be pretty easy to make sure you're, you know, it works and that it continues to work. Yeah. Cool. And, and what, what's, what's felt great for me in this whole process is the movement towards serverless, that everything's really just a function, a cloud function. That's already how the framework is designed. So it fits right on. You graft it right on top of that. And and I want to make, you know, because a lot of the work I do is with developers who are in startups and they're really 
they don't want to spend a lot of time worrying about how to architect because of the, the fear of overbuilding, right? You, you have very little money and very little time and you're trying to get a product out and just build yeah. it, right? So give them powerful tools to focus on that and then allow the way they're building it not to incur architectural debt that they have to then rip out and redo, right? So we pull those two pieces apart, let them build in a way that's going to translate well to scalability should they ever get there. And that's that's really the, the underlying goal behind the whole effort. Great. So it sounds like you don't need architects anymore. You just you download Tau, include it in your project, and architects send them home. There we go. That's right. I think that's why. You know, that's or or they could jump on and help build the underlying They're not going to do that. Pieces. <laughs> not going to do that. Come on. <laughs> Cool. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Let's check it out. I really appreciate it. We do, too. We appreciate you being here. Oh, and uh, tau.js.org. Tau.js.org. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. Cool. I need to update those docs because they're not updated with the talk I gave. So What docs still, are ever updated? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good enough. You should. You, all this stuff's in there. Great. Thanks. All right, we're back at JSConf 2018, and we're here with Carrie Maxwell. Carrie, would you like to say hello? Hey, everyone. So you gave a talk today. Was it today? It was on Tuesday. On Tuesday. I apologize. We have been doing interviews all day. Uh, we've days. been locked in this room for days. <laughs> <Yeah>. Please <laughs> let us out. <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't actually seen your talk, but we're excited to. We hear good out. things. Yeah, we hear very good things. And your talk was on civic hacking, civichacking.js, right? So tell us a little bit about that. So pretty much it was just my journey. So a part of my journey was I spent three years underemployed as a fencing coach, as a freelancer, and I pretty much had a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. And every six months I would do something drastic to order to get like a job in tax. And one of the things I ended up doing was civic hacking, and I was ended up driving across the state, like Austin and Houston, majorly. And I ended up doing being part of two big projects that I talk about in the talk, which is like Budget Party, which is like the Austin app, and pretty much voters. It's just forget voters interested in the city budget, mm -hmm. and hopefully get some like civic activism and bring in actually make people think about what they're voting for a little bit and actually make them say, hey, I can control the budget. Maybe if I vote the right people, they'll actually put their feet to the fire and actually do things I want them to do. Nice. And then the second part was a Houston project, which was housing choice. So like the day before the hackathon, they found out there's a big pot of money that we didn't use. So we were like, hey, let's build an app so we can actually get the Section 8 problem and the homelessness problem. And also because of the oil downturn in Houston, we had like a lot of abandoned spaces mm. that could have been used to house people. So we we're trying to figure out, hey, maybe we can get people to live in these places and not have abandoned buildings. Very cool. So the uh, talk goes into details about this, about your journey with these two civic hacking events. And mm -hmm. and then it shifts dramatically because then Hurricane Harvey happened. Oh, yeah. And that was really close to my house. Like the dam was like within walking distance of our house. And my area just started flooding again. And 
Because, like, Houston has flooded, like, in three different separate locations, but this was the worst. So we ended up building, like, the mayor came out to us and was like, hey, we don't have enough, like, people to actually deal with this. Can you guys help? And we ended up building out, like, several apps for that. And, like, a lot of people internationally came out to our Slack group, which was Sketch City, which is the name of our brigade in Houston, to help out. And it was just remarkable what happened and then we're like oh we're done life is returning to normal Irma happened so I got involved in Irma as well and then eventually Maria but Maria was a different bag because of how things were done there so yeah they didn't really come looking for apps for that one um (laughs) pretty much it wasn't more like building apps for that one it's just like so Hurricane Harvey was in a slack group was for our brigade we had the axe left for free tier and then we moved on to a different one because people in the Houston Slack wanted it to become more of a Houston Slack again. So they made it Irma response team Slack. And then the people over in Puerto Rico were like, we don't really do Slack, we do WhatsApp. And from WhatsApp, they like there's limited a number of people that can be there. So not everybody was on the WhatsApp group. So mm-hmm. the people that were on there, like some of them we just did not hear from. And that could be a variety of reasons. Number one, their phone died. Number two, they're gone. They're missing in action or they just straight up died and we did not know. So it was very like questioning time and like anxiety and like what happened to our friends. Yeah. So. That's got to be really tough to, to deal with. Like that's, it's not something that you can really compare unless you go through something like that. And it's got to be very terrifying and like so and also like we were trying to help but then it became more political politicalized because like even though puerto rico the people there are citizens they weren't treated mm-hmm. as well as what happened to the people in houston in florida so there was just a whole bunch of red tape that didn't show up when we were working for those two other hurricanes that showed mm-hmm. up for irma which was really just sad to see. And I'm like, there's only so much I like, I learned I can do as an individual, so. What are the types of things that these apps that you did for the other ones, what so, do they do? So the biggest app we had was the Harvey Needs. So pretty much it was like a central hub. And one of the big things we had on there was a shelter map to actually bring in like these are the shelters that are still accepting people. This is what the shelters need, et cetera, et cetera. We had an MSS text app so people could text their location and get, because there was first responders helping, but they were like really, what is it called? Saturated, which is a really bad pun because of how much water there was. Oh. So pretty much you had like the Cajun army, I forgot, like the Cajun like brotherhood or not brotherhood, but Cajun army came in and they needed a way to like find where people are needed to be get help from. Mm-hmm. So they didn't go past abandoned houses over and over again. One of the other ones was like after the hurricane that was more helpful was like the muck map. So pretty much the muck map helped find people that actually had their houses destroyed, but they needed to get all of the stuff removed and they didn't have friends or family to help them. So Mm -hmm. volunteers would just find places near them and get their houses repaired or like get everything removed out. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, it's, those uh, are the big ones. That's really cool that you can kind of use this technology for people who want to help out or nearby, and they can actually utilize their efforts towards you know defined goals instead of wandering around going, I don't know what I can do. Like, who can I help? And there's someone right around the corner you could help that you might not know about. Yeah. So like, also with the we we actually had another app for like volunteers for the shelters, so which ones would you can go and like picking a time slot and whatnot. It just ended up being on Harvey, like everything eventually became like a clickable link on Harvey Needs at one point or another. So So you were building this right in the aftermath. This was this was like we started building like during like cause SMS there was a group started building during. I know for me and my family, like we were more concerned about like right next to dam they told us the dam would implode and like a lot of my neighbors with first lorry houses just left they yeah. got a u-haul van and just left but how it worked was first there was the flooding from harvey and then there was this dam crisis that happened so a lot of people like first ended up we wrote the mss texts with twilio app before originally the during the hurricane and then there was a bunch of other apps that came a little bit i can't really explain how like rushed it was right it sounds that's why i was going with that is how crazy it is to do something that fast so pretty much that's why we ended up using cms's things that were easily deployed pretty much anything like boilerplate like so we didn't have to deal with webpack (laughs) or other types of um Things that would like set up the development process that would take sure. too long of a time. Yeah. So. Yeah, ten times of the essence, like anything that can get the information up, you know, be it a Facebook group or something else, like anything. Yeah. So, like it there was matter. Facebook groups. They were. We know we had a Facebook group, but like it would, became too saturated because you could only see, like you could only scroll down, and then if you don't have internet, yeah, you can't scroll down any longer. So the big innovation that happened in Florida because like you don't have internet, was the chat box. Like, you could send out, like, you can go to the chat box and get a reply, an instant reply about, like, a cam reply about what places you can go, what are near you. How, how did this work? Somebody out in Florida actually, because, like, for Florida, we actually went out and pretty much gave them, like, everything we did, and we're like, hey, here's the work, and pretty much, like, pulled it out and made it specific to them, like, Pretty much getting new URLs was the big thing. Mm. So we didn't end up building the same apps twice. We just ended up tweaking them for that location. The chat box, how I understood that, how it worked was somebody had it set up on um, AWS and had a database of like answers because like some people just didn't know what's going on. Okay. And then I think at one point we got it to like hook up with the shelter map and like filter out what places they were still available. Hmm. And did I hear you say that this uh, was using the Twilio API? Is that how the SMS? The SMS Twitter app. The oh. SMS to get people to find, like get rescued yeah. by people that weren't first responders mm-hmm. at the time. That was what Twilio did for us mainly. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but for um, the chat box, mm-hmm. that was, I forgot who actually was like the brainchild behind that. But someone out in Florida had the idea and used AWS, I think, Lambdas. Mm-hmm. So 
okay. to, to build out that chat box. Yeah. So. Very cool. It's really cool. Yeah. It's a really cool way to use the technology for things that are directly impactful other than, you know, just sending selfies and, you know, right. modified yeah. images Literally of yourself being as a, a hero. dog, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally being a hero with JavaScript. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for stopping by. Is there anything you else you wanted to talk about while you were here? Oh, yeah. So another big section of my talk was just telling how people could get involved. Like, for me, I ended up driving around and wasting a lot of gas money mm-hmm. that I really didn't have. But, like, you can start small and local or just look like you have two options. Find a brigade and do civic hacking. Create your brigade if you don't find one. And if you have the time to be outside that or convince your company to, like, help out Mm -hmm. in some way or another. But, you know, either or. Because, like, some people just spend too much time with their companies and really don't have time for free time. Like, it's the same thing with open source. Like, people just don't have time. Yeah. Usually, so you have to make time for these things. Right. And, like, throughout, like, civic hacking, I just learned so much. And I ended up being mentored because, like, I was a freelancer, so I usually just worked by myself. So I got this, like, specs of people mentoring me throughout. And then also, like, I ended up mentoring other people. And just so many people that were involved in it, they weren't developers when they showed up. And now they are. It's just crazy. So, like, I feel like JavaScript has the potential, like, it's the language of the web. Yeah. And... We should actually have people more consider, like, hey, like, there's a lot of gatekeeping that happens when you're trying to get a job in this industry, but there's a lot of, like, sharedness that goes on in the civic hacking community, which is pretty much no one gets turned away, Hmm. which is really useful. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thanks for having me on. All right, we're back. Uh, again. Again. Yay. <laughs> we're here with Hannah Howard. Hannah, would you like to say hello? Hi, everyone. How are you? <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, oh, tell it about myself. Well, I'm a computer programmer. That's why I'm at a tech conference. But I've been a few other things in my life. I've been a teacher, a office manager, a retail worker, a community organizer, a few other, an IT professional. All these things happened before I was a programmer. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So how long have you been uh, a programmer? Since about, well, interestingly, I was a programmer when I was, uh, I like in high school and college, like mm-hmm. really early, but the but professionally oh, since 2012. So, cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and you spoke at JSConf uh, today. Yes. And your talk was on RxJS. It was. Which is an awesome project. So would you like to tell us a little bit about your talk? Sure. Yeah. So the main goal of my talk, for those who don't know, RxJS is a... A really awesome tool for something called functional reactive programming. And it's such a cool tool that it's actually being integrated into a whole bunch of different projects that lots and lots of people use. Stuff like Angular uses it sort of by default. There's a few other projects that are, you know, very invested in, R- in Rx. However, very few people actually understand it. And I I like to use Rx and I found that a lot of people when they first encounter it are kind of daunted by the concepts because it's a very different way of thinking about programming. Yes, um, that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so part of the my talk today was mostly about placing the library in, uh, in the tool and, uh, and in the context of the previous history of how we've done programming for front-end applications and using that to help folks understand it and using a bunch of graphs and stuff to help people visualize how Rx actually works. So oh, yeah. cool. 
Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So RX, it, it, like kind of the main, what would you call it, data structure mm-hmm. in that is an observable. Yes. And so you use that and just to kind of give like a, would you like to give a, a brief Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I can give you, th- so the, the main concept is this thing called an observable, mm-hmm. which no one really understands at all. Yep. Right. Um, <laughs> so what I tried to do is put it in the context of something that's much older, which is just the observer pattern, okay. um, which a lot of folks don't realize they're using pretty much every day. Anytime you add like a, like a JavaScript event handler, right? You want to listen for mouse clicks. You're essentially using this thing called the observable pattern because you're, uh, sorry, the observer pattern, because you're basically telling the browser that you want to subscribe to clicks on a DOM element and be notified anytime, you know, essentially that uh, event happens and then be able to handle it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's actually something that everybody does. The concept of an observable is actually, it's almost, it's more just like an augmentation on that. And basically, if you take the... if this gets too long, then let me know. But if you take the concept of, like, if you take a concept of the subscribing to mouse clicks and you mm-hmm. imagine that what you're really doing, what we're really talking about is like a stream of mouse clicks happening over time, right? Mm-hmm. And with a standard, like, event handler, all you can do is listen. And then once that happens, you maybe make something appear on screen or you do something immediate, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea of, um, the observable is is it's like a thing you can subscribe to, but then you can then transform and make something that somebody else can subscribe to, which sounds a little bit abstract, but like concretely, I might subscribe to a mouse click and then turn it into an HTTP call that someone might be able to subscribe to the responses to. Mm-hmm. So you have this like chain of events that happen through basically building, using the same pattern you've always had, but composing these different events and operations on those events to make new events. So that's the basic concept. Nice. And that's kind of maybe where the, like, where I think of the functional aspect of it, because like you have, when I I think of functional programming, like the first method that comes to my mind is like map. Sure. Uh, And Uh Rx lets you, well, observables kind of let you do that massaging of the data into something else. So like you can take the event listener Mm -hmm. for a mouse click and then you don't necessarily have to just like get an event object. You can like pass it through this whole chain Mm -hmm. and then have like the final subscriber be called that actually gets something else completely, like not just a mouse event. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it, 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 so, and the, you know, the concept of map is something on an array, for Mm -hmm. example, like, which is kind of a a more, a data type that people are much more familiar with Mm -hmm. is very well understood. It's like, I'm going to take my values, I'm going to transform each one, and then I'm going to get a new array with new values. So the difference with observables is that you're not talking about a static array, you're talking about a stream of values happening over time, which right. is a really weird concept to think about because it's yes. almost, it sounds very philosophical. It doesn't sound like a computer thing, yeah. but you're just saying like, as each new value comes in, we're going to transform it in this way and then produce a new stream of all the transform values. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty, it's a wild concept. I mean, I don't know, sometimes I think I program in Rx just because it's cool, you know, and I recognize that's probably not the reason to like be like writing, writing you know, software for production applications but it's so much fun to think about and yeah so i kind of enjoy that yeah yeah i've also heard it be referred to as like similar to a promise except it resolves more than once uh whereas a promise yeah does yeah yeah you know i that is true i will say that i found myself a little tripped up by that sometimes because i I, I, yeah because like when i think about a promise like i think of it as like it does you know you have one purpose in a promise which is like I want to do something that's going to take some time. It's not going to be run synchronously. And then Mm -hmm. I need to be notified when it's done. And so I feel like a promise is like, 
a promise is more analogous to an event handler on a mouse click. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a slight change on it, but like versus like an observable is like I mean, yeah, it's 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 hard. I, I I'm not really articulating the difference, sure. but I found myself tripped up on that because I often think like, oh well, I'll just think of it like promises. And the other thing is that in promises, you often uh, you you have a success and a fail, uh-huh. and observables have an error state, but you often end up not using it as mm-hmm. much because you want to actually think of error states as just like different streams, you mm-hmm. know. So that's something that that I found is is a little bit different, but also you know, yeah, it's a good. It, these are they're all most of them are ultimately uh, part of my talk. One of the points is that. Most of the challenges in what we do in front-end programming have to do with the fact that things happen asynchronously, fundamentally. And by asynchronously, meaning we have no control over mm-hmm. them. They happen whenever they happen. The server responds when it responds. The user clicks when they click, right? And so we have to have our program basically geared up to be ready to react when things happen. Mm-hmm. And so they're both, in, in the sense of promises and observables, are both ways of dealing with that that um, uncertainty. Uh, that was very eloquently put, I think, that that helps clarify. I think that when when I've used it in the past, the thing that tripped me up the most, and this is just yeah, like no, go a, for it, go for a it. beginner me, is yeah. nothing really happens until you subscribe. Yes. And I, th- I don't know why that just like throws me for a loop and I can't, I don't know. It, it, I just remember that being the hardest part to, oh, to get my head for around. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I, and 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 I actually, I just, I actually somewhat glossed over that the whole hot cold, yeah. you know, uh, distinction. Cold, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> in my talk, and part of it is, I and I, I'm working on trying to build some libraries for this. But one thing that I have found is that there's sort of like a series of things that I I end up putting, like for my core observables that are like the core pieces of data in my application, because mm-hmm. that's usually what I end up using them for is like essentially data that reacts to like, like if, you know, the, like if a user logs in, then we have a stream, like each time a user logs in, we end up with like the things that they own as data off. And like, that's mm-hmm. a really common, you know, pattern in, uh, in building, you know, an application as so you go from the login screen to some intro screen where you see a bunch of your own personal stuff. Yeah. So that I, I, you know, I will often write that as like an observable chain where like you make the authorization request. And then when that succeeds, you like fetch the next set of data. And so like, I think of those, those like pieces of data that appear and like they'll each have an observable. I think of them as reactive data, right? Okay, they, yeah. they change whenever something behind them changes, right? Uh-huh. And for those core pieces of data, I have like a set of like things that I put on all of them. I make them hot observables. I make them shared replay, you know, like, which is kind of like basically often what you're wanting. Like you're wanting a chain of like values that you can rely on to like, if I subscribe, I'm going to get the latest one of these. And then every time it updates, I'm going to get a new one. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That's usually what people think of when they like, that's the human intuition and it's not the default of like because normally because a traditional observable is like you said a thing that just accumulates values and then dumps them all out to each person who subscribes to them Mm -hmm. that can be very confusing so yeah yeah yeah. i actually think that 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 observables could be a lot more popular if there were some really good patterns that people had established around how to use them and i think that you know, like, I mean, uh, I think that's still something that's evolving. I know in the Angular world, there's like NGRX, though my impression of it is it's basically a clone of Redux, which like, I feel like there are different patterns that, that you know, you can use. Well, I don't, sorry, I don't want to say that. I actually think it's a really cool library. And I know some of the folks writing it are 
super smart folks. So uh-huh. I didn't I didn't mean to, to dismiss it, but I just think there's some interesting patterns you could establish. Yeah. So definitely. yeah. 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 Cool. So when I was working on on I haven't used observables in a little while, but when I was, I seemed to recall always ending up using subjects or behavior subjects. Do you find yourself also doing, doing that? Yeah, I mean, I, it, I'm just curious. Like, like for sure, am I doing something wrong? No, or? no, you're not. Okay. Well, I mean, the subject or I, I, I think behavior subject is no longer part of the latest version of RX. Oh, um, okay. I can't remember. Maybe it still is there. But anyway, a subject is like. Everything in an observable, I mean, in an Rx application, almost always your first observables are subjects of some sort. Even though Rx provides ways of building an observable from a mouse click, mm-hmm. for the most part, like, you know, the first layer of, of observables, sometimes like there's a terminology that I often use uh, and folks I work with often use in talking about this. We talk about the observables as signals, right? Like mm-hmm. they're like, you can imagine them as like a, you know, a broadcasting of each new value, like as a new signal. And we talk about those as primary signals and they're almost always subjects right because they're things that happen almost always because of a user event of some Mm -hmm. sort and then everything that comes after that usually is i usually end up using just uh you know transformations on the maps you know merge maps like filters like and you know one of the things that really trips people up is just so how many of these operators there are i know that that's a real and and you know the thing that i try to that i think the thing that is that can help with that is like sometimes like the challenges in like if you just step back and are like what is it i'm trying to do like like, you know, I give the example in the talk of a login form with like a username, a password and a submit button. Right. Well, what I want to do is when I when every time I submit, I even every time someone clicks the submit button, I want to take the latest username and the latest password and I want to send them off to a server. Right. Mm-hmm. So the operator for that is called with latest from. Right. Which is actually the right name. It's just like you often like are like trying to think in your old school way of thinking. So, or like the classic way of programming. So that's like for, for me that, that like, uh, yeah, that's usually how I build things with RX and the teams that I'm on, we actually have a practice that we, we build something called, we call the signal graph. Well, mm-hmm. it's not, we call it, it's actually an original term from functional reactive programming. And like, Basically, it's our graph. We actually, we usually build it with um, UML, which, you know, like, and, and like, then there's a nice visualizer called plant UML that's like, here are the primary signals, here are the things that derive from them, and the things that derive from them, and the things that derive from them. And like, sometimes when, you know, one, I, we have noticed in production applications that graph tends to look gigantic. And that, that's kind of showing like what the data originates as in the mm-hmm. observable and, and then how it's transformed throughout mm-hmm. the chain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Very like cool. if you have like a, if you have like a, you know, going back to my login example, and by the way, I'm stealing this from my talk because yeah. that's, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you have a username observe, uh, you know, username subject, a password subject, a submit button subject, and then you have a, and then you have like a request for logins, right? Sub, uh, observable, which is derived from that, like with latest from, and then you have following that you have like a responses to login requests, which is usually the result of probably like a merge map or something Mm -hmm. because it's an asynchronous operation to a server. And then like from there, you have like, you have maybe a filter to get like your login successes, your login failures as two separate things. And then you could derive all kinds of other things. So like if you have a success, maybe you have a user token, then you use a user token to get more data, you know, and then you have an observable all the way down the chain that is like the user's personal data that, mm-hmm. that started from the, that username and password and submit button. So do you yeah. generate that graph like manually, the UML or is it, is there something? Yeah, that we write the, we write the UML. One of the things that I am, my talk literally 
ends with this. I've become obsessed. In, in the talk, there's actually two slides that have these really cool interactive signal like graphs where like uh, you have a username and a password form on the left and as you type in there and you hit submit you see the signals like go through on the right it's this really cool like flow chart and i have this belief that you could generate that automatically it's completely handwritten right now because like right now it's a whole bunch of react components with like these signals moving along these lines and it I feel like if you would like the right D3 and the right, you know, somehow you could, and if you could do that, then it would all like be super awesome. And the other thing is, well, one, the, sorry, not to do the shameless plug, but the one other thing that my talk is about is how, uh, is a library I wrote that I call RX React. There is also another RX React, though it hasn't been updated in three years, so I don't feel so bad. I call RX React that's basically about tying observables to props on a component. And so it's not a super complicated library, but basically I have a thing that says like, if I have an observable and I want to turn it into a prop that updates every time, that changes every time the observable emits something new, Mm -hmm. that has this like, you know, thing to do that. And similarly, if I want to, inside of a React component, turn a call, a click function inside of an on-click property that will emit on an observable, it has that as an, in, as like sort of the reverse. So yeah, it's very similar to the Angular kind of like built-in stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's very cool. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking to us yeah. today. We look forward to uh, the talk when it comes out on video. Yeah, yeah, yeah for is sure. Is it going straight to a DVD or is it going to go through Netflix or? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, you know what? The streaming deal hasn't worked out. Okay. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, well, sorry. Red Shameless Box. plug. I'm doing this talk again at Strange Loop. So, yeah. It's going to be like, I'm going to be super less nervous and like there's going to be super less missing images from the slides. <laughs> so, that's going to be great. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. We've got a good thing going on. Ba, 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 ba. We got a good